BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Friend of a Friend podcast. I'm your host, Olivia Perez. I'm so excited to tell you about a partnership I have coming up for the holidays with one of my favorite brand partners, Tory Burch. I'll be hosting an event at the Tory Burch store on Rodeo Drive in LA on Tuesday, December 10th from 7 to 9 p.m. for a special holiday shopping event. I'll share my favorite holiday gifts with everyone. And for those of you who are extra competitive like me and need to be the best gift givers, the Tory Burch team has graciously organized monogramming on sweaters and scarves and hand painting on handbags so that you can select something personalized for your friends and family. Plus, everyone who makes a purchase will receive a holiday flower bouquet to take home. We'll also be donating 20% of the proceeds to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which I'm so excited and proud to support this holiday season. The invite's open to anyone, and if you'd like to come, please shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Liv Perez, L-I-V-V-P-E-R-E-Z, and hopefully you're following me already. Tori's been one of my longest fashion partners and one of the first brands to ever support me when I was starting out in the industry. I'm so grateful for their continued support, and I hope to see you all on December 10th. I'm excited to welcome you to episode eight with freelance writer, editor, consultant, and fashion person, Alyssa Coscarelli, aka Alyssa in the City. Alyssa started off her career as a writer at Refinery29 and recently joined the freelance life a year ago to take her blooming influencer career full-time. Her Instagram has become one of my favorite sources to find inspiration of any kind, from fashion to interior design, beauty, travel guides, new brands, and more. Alyssa keeps it real always, personally and professionally, and has championed the influencer space with style and grace. With over 250,000 followers, she's worked with brands like Gucci to Burberry, just launched a new pop-up concept, and has a website coming soon. In this episode, Alyssa and I talk about the influencer stigma, the future of fashion and where we see ourselves, and how she's carving a lane for herself based around being true to herself. Here's my friend, Alyssa Coscarelli. How are you? How are you feeling today? I'm good. I'm still coming down from the fashion month like craziness. I got back from Paris a couple days ago. So and I've been going to bed at like 10 and waking up at seven, which is like great. I love that. But definitely not. I don't know, not fully adjusted back on this time zone yet. But it's kind of working out for me for now. (laughs) How was fashion month for you this time around? It was good. I still feel like I'm finding my footing doing it all as a freelancer and as an influencer and and not as much as an editor. So, but constantly just like grappling between the two. So it's always weird, but good, but busy and fun and like seeing all my friends and doing cool stuff and traveling. It's great. But also just like still, yeah, still always finding my footing. It's definitely a big shift. Yeah. It's, it's eye-opening actually. (laughs) How so? Well, with Fashion Month specifically, it's very different when you're going at it from like a purely press standpoint where you're just like, I'm an editor at X publication and it's like a little bit more straightforward where I find like approaching it from the influencer side is like not as concrete and it's kind of like schmoozy and it's like, who are you? Who are you friends with? Like what PR people are you buddy buddy with, you know? And I'm just like, 
trying to navigate it. I don't know. It's weird. No, it's definitely accurate. Definitely yeah. accurate. I've had so many situations where, like, I've gone into partnerships and the brand partner has looked at me as an editor, but mm-hmm. I don't really look at myself. Right, exactly. And it's like brands, you're still figuring out how to, like, get on the same page with how brands view you. Totally. So where are you from and where do you live now? So I'm from the South originally. I was born and raised mostly in Florida, and then I did high school in Atlanta, Georgia. And moved to New York as soon as I could. So I came to New York for college um, and I've been here, I guess, eight or nine years now, somewhere in between. It's really interesting. I'm, I say this on so many podcasts, so many episodes, so sorry. You've heard me say this a thousand times, but I'm city girl, LA, yeah. born and bred, live here now. And almost every guest I've had on here, maybe minus like the first two, are from either like the Midwest or the South. So and funny. I think that there's such an interesting perspective of being a fashion person or like even someone in like the pop culture realm Mm -hmm. um, and like having that interest in such a like kind of metropolitan bubble. I still think I'm just maybe like a lot like softer and nicer of a person just because I'm from the South. Like I don't have that like. Couldn't agree with you more. Metropolitan edge to me, which sometimes like people take bitch advantage. Like me. <laughs> yeah, no, but it mellows me out. I'm like way too nice and way too generous sometimes, and it like bites me in the ass. So <laughs> it's okay. It's not a bad thing. What initially sparked your interest in fashion, being from the South? I think it was my way to stay true to myself. I think like I never fully felt like I fit in at the schools I went to in the South. Everyone wanted to be clones of each other, basically. Like everyone wanted to wear the same like Abercrombie polos and like, you know, and in some senses I was trying to fit in. Like I was on the cheer team, like I was doing the thing, but also I knew, I always knew I was different deep down somehow. And I think clothing is the way that I express that. So I would like maybe still shop at Abercrombie, but put some different twist on it and try to like wear things that were unique and accessorize and do my hair differently every day. And like, that was just my way to express myself. Um, And for some reason, when it came down to like choosing where to go to school and choosing a career, there was no question for me. Like, it was just like, I want to work in fashion and I don't really even know what that entails or like what part of it I want to be a part of, but I just have to be in it and I just have to be in New York City. So kind of just chased it. Do you have a specific memory of envisioning what that career would look like for you? Well, I got, when I was still in middle school, I got a brochure from LIM College, which is why I went to college. And it was like, come, you know, come do our like seven day trial. And that's what I did. I brought my mom up to New York. We stayed in the LIM dorms, my mom and I. And it was like this little seven day like practice, college practice thing where you like go to like quote unquote classes and stay in the dorm and like get a taste in of middle what it's school? like. Yeah. Wow. I, think I was like in eighth grade, maybe ninth grade. And we like we went and saw a show on Broadway and I like went to my little like fashion classes and I was just like, this is the life. Like, this is what I have to do. Um, so oh my God, Alyssa in the city in middle school. <laughs> Early Alyssa in the city. Yeah. So obviously that impression was like a lot different than the reality of living in New York. But I think like as soon as I did that, I was sold. I was always just like changing outfits a million times, like putting on fashion shows for my family. Like it really was just like innately part of me since I can remember like clothes and getting dressed and fashion. It's weird. And then you started at Refinery29. Yep. You were still in college. I was still in college when I started as an intern at Refinery. And um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but 
actually my mom again like my mom has had such an instrumental role in like my passion and my career for fashion and she I think is actually the one that used to like forward me refinery 29 newsletters and be like Liz this is cool like check this out like she's the one that that subscribed and sent them to me before I even knew what it was um but then of course I became like an avid reader and someone had posted on Facebook like my friend needs an intern at refinery and I was like me pick me so um it's just funny because I ended up interning there and then pretty much never left for five years. For like, a long time. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of all I know now, in a way. What's your mom's relationship with fashion? Because my mom was definitely not reading Refinery29 <laughs> when I was in middle school. My mom's always been into fashion and shopping. She actually was a professional ballerina, so I don't know if, like, the costume element had anything to do with it. And I it always, definitely like, does. Yeah, I feel like that has something to do with it. But also just, I think, growing up, just watching her get ready for the day and watching her get dressed and going shopping with her. Like I have all these fond memories of that being the way that we bonded and the way that we hung out. Um, So yeah. And she always had an amazing wardrobe and like always looked awesome. Even, even from her mother, I think that was ingrained in her. It's like when you're going out somewhere, even if it's just like run an errand, you're like put together. And so that rubbed off on me too. My mom used to say, Dress up even if you're at the airport. Yeah. To this day, my mom looks great at the airport. She was way ahead of the like, like airport sheet. Airport sheet look. She wow. She was way ahead of that. So go her. Yeah. How did you? Off on you. It really does. But how did you get your foot in the door at Refinery Twenty Nine? Yeah. So essentially, um, a friend of a friend had posted on Facebook. I think it's funny because it's like. I feel so weird when people ask me, like, how did you get where you are today? Like, what can I do to, like, be where you are? And it's just everyone's path is so unique and, like, so chance-driven that, like, yeah, I can give you, like, overall advice, but everyone's path and everyone's steps are ultimately going to be so unique and so different. So for me, it was a lot different of a time. Like, not everyone was, like, fighting for a job at Refinery29. Like, it was a lot smaller of a company than it w- than it is now. It was, like, maybe not even 100 employees yet. And it was literally just someone on Facebook posted, hey, my friend's looking for an intern at Refinery29. And I commented on the post and was like, I would like to do that. And I went in for an interview, which, by the way, I was... 20 minutes late for because they had just moved offices and I went to the wrong address and it was pouring rain. It was like one of those New York days where the skies have just like opened and I showed up so late, soaking wet, like completely frazzled and somehow like still got the job, which I don't think if (laughs) if that happened today probably would have been the case. But um, it just so happened that the person hiring is my now best friend, Lauren Crusoe. So she saw something in me and... Yeah, I have to thank her for that because she hired me even though I was a hot mess. I did not know that that was Lauren. Yes. I didn't know that that's how you guys met. We met because wow. she hired me as her intern at Refinery29. And now we're like sisters, basically. <laughs> like we're the best of friends. So it's funny. People ask me a lot the same question you just said, which is like, how did you make it? How did you get there? And it's like, it, there's so, it has so much to do with like cultivating those relationships. Okay. And it's like, I feel like I still talk to, like, my first bosses from when I was 18 years old. And it's just... Same. I don't think that... I mean, that's not necessarily indicative of whatever job I have now, but it's, like, so important to foster those relationships. Absolutely. It's... I don't think people even realize how relationship-driven careers are. Totally. Yeah. I had a friend of mine who does something similar to us say to me the other day that, like, 80% of his job feels like he is just 
keeping up relationships and meeting yeah. with people. And, and it's not in like the like icky way of like, oh, it's all who you know and you have to know someone to get ahead. It's just like actually fostering meaningful relationships with these people. And like you said, like not burning bridges and like the same people I interned for in college, like I'm working with in one way or another today. And like those people come back around, especially in fashion or in New York and the fashion industry specifically, like it's smaller than you think. And yeah, just always making those like lasting impressions and genuine relationships with people like goes so far. You want to work with people you like. Yeah. Bottom line. Totally. So that's crazy that it was Lauren yeah. that day. That's insane. What did <laughs> Thank you... God. Because I don't think I would have gotten the job, but she saw me and was like, oh, I like this girl. Like, we'll get along. You know, she saw something in me. So some for some reason, she hired me. <laughs> I think there's a lot of talk when it comes to career advice when people are like, just work as hard as you can and be persistent, which is all true and valid. But do you believe in luck? I don't think it, it's more like being at the right place at the right time than like luck and only luck, if that makes sense. Because I do think there's some kind of like universe fate that brought Lauren and I together, like in that moment, in that interview. And even though I technically bombed it and was so late and frazzled and stressed and wet like a wet puppy she was still like I see that this girl wants to work hard she's enthusiastic and keep in mind like I knew nothing about digital media at that point like I was still in college I was running my like school magazine so I was writing but it wasn't really like anything legit and I had so much to learn at that point but I think she just like saw the enthusiasm and it just felt right and even I knew that I was supposed to be there and so I think the other person can feel that I don't know so not so much luck but just like right place right time like and then you work yeah. it from there yeah and then you like learn and work your ass off from there too you were at refinery during a really important time for the company which is now obviously like a crucial pillar in like digital fashion today mm -hmm. what was that experience like well, I like to say that it was like digital boot camp. Like I literally learned everything from like SEO and analytics to headlines and email newsletters and social media and just like all these different tactics and strategies. And people don't realize how much of a business Refinery29 is. And it's so numbers driven in so many ways that you don't really see from the outside. Um, and that was really eye-opening for me because, again, like you think of fashion, you think of like these online publications being so glamorous and fun and it's photo shoots and it's fashion shows. But really, it's like you're like crunching numbers behind the scenes. Um, so, yeah, I learned so, so much there. And like I think it was always at that time, it was like the case study for like women's digital media. It was the place to be and everyone was watching, you know. So I have that to thank in a way for like where I am as far as where I am now just being a part of that at such like a crucial time like you said not only learning so much but also just yeah again right place right time like being a part of something that everyone was kind of looking to to see like what refinery does next or like how are they doing it and I always remember because it was kind of at the time when print started to struggle too and I was like oh I'm good I'm in digital like this is the place to be you know and obviously even now there's like acquisitions and shuffles and firings and hirings. And it's not like a safe bet by any means. I don't think anything in publishing is these days. Um, it's all kind of up in the air. But at that time, it felt like secure in a way because we were just growing so quickly. And it was just exciting. And it was mostly women, too. So I think that's something that I've also realized has been interesting about my career is that LIM College, where I went to college, was 
98% women. Refinery29, where I had my first job, was 98% women. And now, you know, I'm doing my own thing. I'm working out of the wing, which is 98% women. That's crazy. Wow. But I feel really fortunate in that sense, um, you know, not to be like, oh, I never want to work with men. Like, no, but I just feel like it's something maybe our parents' generation couldn't have ever really imagined is just like all of these women doing their thing and building these businesses and building these empires. Um, so I feel like, yeah, my whole career has been really female focused and it's empowering. How do you feel like that shaped your career in a more defined way? I think that it made me realize that I don't have to like suppress my intelligence or my drive or my ambition or anything. It was like, I don't know, even learning under like the founders of Refinery, like Christine and Pierre and seeing them, they were like such role models to me before I even worked there. And so then like working under them and working under someone like Lauren and learning so much from these strong, powerful women was just like, it made me realize like, yeah, you don't have to be behind the scenes. You don't have to cower. You don't have to like suppress anything. Like you can own, own your power in a way, I guess. Um, and so I think even working somewhere like Refinery, oddly enough, even though I left that full-time job, in a way, my time there empowered me to eventually do my own thing. Totally. Yeah. That makes sense. What was the biggest challenge you felt that you had while you were at Refinery? Um, I think realizing that, um, I don't know, I think finding a way to nurture my creativity and use my creativity in a way that didn't end up, basically the volume of work at Refinery was really intense. You know, I was like churning out two stories a day most days. And like, <laughs> your brain doesn't really work like that. Like you're not a machine, you're a human, right? I'll never forget the day you told me. You were like, yeah. I have two stories to do a day, like one in the afternoon and one at night. And yeah. I was like, <gasps> I was like, I crank out two stories a week and I almost yeah. have a panic attack. I don't know how the brain works well, like you kind of just make it work and like you plan ahead and you make a schedule and like you brainstorm and all of that. But also like it was a hard realization for me to be like, yeah, I'm a creative person, but I'm also like held to these really intense expectations and these really intense numbers and like finding that balance between being like, a creative person, but also being a like diligent, efficient person. It was hard. Um, but I also wouldn't trade it for the world because now I can think on my toes in a way that a lot of people can't. Like I'm still doing a lot of freelance copywriting and consulting. And like, it's funny to me because people will ask me for a cop, like the brands that I work with will ask me for copy around a certain thing. And I can just spit out like a packaged like headline or something catchy about whatever it is, just, like almost on the spot. I'm jealous. And they're like, how do you do that? <laughs> Your brain like, is, you went to digital boot camp. Literally, I was trained. Um, so yeah, that it was an interesting thing to like find that balance between like efficiency and creativity and how to like churn stuff out, but also not lose your integrity. I don't know. It's still a balance, but it's definitely something Refinery taught me. What was the moment that you realized that your brand was becoming bigger than your capacity to complete everyday work? <sighs> it just got really hard towards the end. Honestly, I was doing too much. I was still fully doing my job at Refinery and still, and then, then fully doing all of my personal stuff as well. And at that point, I didn't have a manager or an agency. So I was invoicing. I was creating the content. I was emailing back and forth. I was negotiating. I was reading contracts. I was signing contracts. Like, and then also, <laughs> yeah. And then also doing my job at Refinery. So I think I just got spread way too thin in the end. And then both sides of it were kind of noticing, like Refinery was noticing I wasn't fully there. And then the brands I was working on the, on the side were like, 
hello, like, this is wrong, or you didn't follow the directions here. You know, like, you kind of just, when you're doing too much, you can't do any of it well. Right. <laughs> so I think that's when I realized, like, all right, you got to pick a lane here. And totally. I kind of just jumped the direction I felt like I was being pulled, which was that kind of like personal brand route. So it all worked out in the end for sure. But I think like I had to get to that point to realize that a decision had to be made, if that makes sense. Like I'm yes. almost glad I got overwhelmed because then it forced me to like think, think quick deeper and pick on my feet and just be like, <laughs> all right, what do I need? Like something's got to give here. Totally. Totally. That's so crazy. I couldn't imagine you doing both. But it's really interesting. I don't know I, how I did it now thinking about it. But. but I also think about your career in the sense of we know a lot of editors that are also mm -hmm. promoting their stories and promoting the their world of fashion via their Instagram. Yeah. But something just clicked for you and set you apart and made it and almost put you like in the fast lane in terms of mm -hmm. needing to leave refinery. What do you think that was? Oh, I think Partly um, what I learned at Refinery is how to create meaningful relationships with brands. And it was just interesting because that started to go beyond just the editorial aspect of like, for example, featuring a brand in a story. And it started to be like, oh, like the brands would be like, oh, we can work with Alyssa in more ways than just this. Like it kind right. of it, the relationship continued past just the editorial scale. And they were like, oh, do you want to shoot with us? Do you want to style for us? Do you want to consult for us? Do you want to do this video for us? And so I, I definitely have Refinery to thank for like ingraining in me how fruitful these relationships with brands can be. But also like it just went further for me. It just came naturally to me. Um, and I think I'm an entrepreneurial spirit anyways. So as soon as I was like in with these brands and they were in with me, like we wanted to do more, like we saw potential for more and kind of just ran with it. So, um, on one hand it got complicated at refinery for sure to like figure out how to walk that line. Um, but ultimately I think that's like what put, like you, like you said, kind of put me on the fast track is like that confidence and that ability to like work with a brand and like see the potential there. If that makes sense. And I remember you and I were talking for so long about you taking that leap. <laughs> Probably for like a year I was on the fence. For sure. What was the moment that you were like, okay, I'm ready? That's a great question. I don't know if it was so much a moment. I think it really was a long, drawn-out process for me. It wasn't just one moment where I was like, yep, it's time. Like, it was talking to everyone I knew, like, talking to people who were freelance, talking to people who still had editorial jobs, talking to people from past jobs who are, like, mentors to me, talking to my parents, talking to my tax guy, tax guy. You know, like, it was a process. It wasn't just, like, one day I woke up and I was like, time to leave. It was like, I literally thought about it for a year. And I loved my job. It wasn't easy to leave you know but I think again I, I couldn't do it all and I had to make a decision and it didn't happen overnight it just happened through a lot of like thinking and conversations and I think also like not long before I left um I took a sabbatical because that was one of Refinery's benefits was like after I believe four years of full-time work you got a month um paid leave so I was like traveling for four weeks straight and I think I got a taste of that freedom and it was the first chance I got to really like pause on the writing and focus on my Instagram kind of and like the outfit shots and the coverage of my travels and everything and I think getting a taste of that um, definitely helped seal the deal in a way. I like what you're saying here because I do think that a lot of people are like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave my job and there's like kind of one glimmer of success in the freelance space, and they're like, all right, I'm done. Right. And I do think that there's so much importance to what you just said of 
one, getting a real taste of it and being like, do I even like? Yeah, because it's not for everyone. Do I even like this or do I like the idea of it? But also just like having your ducks in line. Totally. I always say that to anyone who's thinking of going freelance. Like, don't rush it. Like, make your foundation. Get those jobs lined up. Like, like you said, get your ducks in a row. Because for me, like, everyone was always like, how did you do it? Like, they think going freelance is like jumping into this abyss where it's just like, figure it out. I'm like, no, I already knew exactly what I was doing. I knew how the income was going to come in. Like, I knew how I was going to organize my work. And like, I knew... I was going to work out of the wing. Like, you know, I like had, I envisioned what that looked like and like took the steps to plan it. So when I did take the leap, it didn't feel like I was jumping off a cliff. It kind of just felt like this little transition into like a different lifestyle. Um, Cause I was already doing it. I was doing both. So I just stripped away one. Yeah. <laughs> I like, stripped away the full-time job and got to just focus on the other side. But so what I love about your career at that point and today is the fact that you didn't just rely on the forward-facing element of Mm -hmm. what being, quote-unquote, an influencer is like. Yeah. And to this day, I think that's really important to me, too. So you're consulting and you're still writing. Can you talk us through a few of those projects? Yeah, for sure. So over the past year, the first, you know, official year that I've been freelance, I've had a lot of different really cool opportunities that I couldn't have even really imagined when I took the leap. Um, But yeah, I've continued to write. So my um, friend Lauren that we previously mentioned is now at the Zoe Report. So I write a lot for her, um, mostly about fashion and trend stuff. I also contribute to Fashionista quite a bit. Um, I've covered Copenhagen Fashion Week for them the past couple seasons. So that's really fun. Um, Contributed to Teen Vogue. Um, more recently with a personal essay about my skin picking disorder. Um, So kind of like opening up on that front and kind of going beyond fashion has been cool or starting to. Um, And launching my own website soon where I get to write about whatever I please. So again, hopefully going beyond fashion into like beauty, lifestyle, mental health, travel, all of that. Um, But then I've also gone to dabble in some cool retail projects over the last year. So I actually curated a retail concept store in San Francisco that's all about bringing Instagram brands into real life. So um, they seeked me out on Instagram and they were like, hey, we feel like you know cool brands. Can you help us curate our store? And they're definitely right. (laughs) Like you haven't – you – I feel like your Instagram has literally become, like, an encyclopedia. <laughs> For, like, brands. Yeah, a lot of people say that. Yeah. So it was cool to use those connections and use that passion for supporting emerging brands in a new way, like, in this kind of, like, curation sense. And then soon after, another op along those lines kind of came up where I curated a three-day pop-up in the Oculus in the World Trade Center downtown. Um, again, with all emerging up-and-coming brands who have, like, you know— not huge followings, but who I've found on Instagram and found interesting and feel like have potential. Um, So it's cool that that's kind of being recognized and I'm getting to use these kind of like curation and editorial skills in a new way. Um, And that's been really fun. So yeah, and I've also, I did my first design collab this past year, have another one coming out in the spring. So stay tuned. So yeah, it's like, it's a million different things and it's really hard to explain to people what I do. That was my (laughs) next question for you. Yeah. It sucks. When it it <laughs> sucks. It absolutely sucks. I can definitely relate to that. But so how do you answer the question? So I literally am st- – I think about this every day. I'm like trying to figure out a good way to explain it. I still don't know. But usually I say I work for myself. I work in fashion as a freelance writer and influencer. Like usually I, I sum it up like that. But then I'm also – 
like, but I also consult, but I also style sometimes, but I also, you know, like, it's just, it's really hard to, to put into one label. Um, but I really like to just say, like, I work in fashion, I work for myself. Like, if someone totally outside of our bubble is asking me, like, that's pretty much what I'll say. If it's someone inside the industry, then it's a different story. You know, then I'm like, oh, you know, I'm copywriting, consulting for some brands, but I also do the influencer thing. It's, I also do the influencer thing. Yeah. <laughs> Let's it's, talk through that part. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to explain, but. It's definitely hard to explain. And I think you and I have always had a very, I'm actually really happy you're on this podcast because it's, you're the first person that is really in the same, we're in the same boat. Yeah. So I think that we, um, we, you and I have also had very like in-depth business conversations about yes. what it means to an influencer. But I also influencer. like, like you said, we both do more than like the surface level influencer stuff, you know? Right. And that's important to me. And I think that's important to you too. Oh, for sure. So we're on the same page about that. For sure. What are your thoughts so Alyssa and I were on a panel about a year ago, and we got into—oh, I did. I got into, like, a mi- mi- mini tiff with a person on the panel. Wait, who, I don't remember this. She basically was like—so Alyssa and I were the only influencers on the panel. Then there were a few other people more from, like, the corporate world, and then somebody who owns an influencer agency. Oh, right, right, right. And I basically was saying that it's really difficult to be in a space that I'm proud and excited to be in but has such an intense stigma against it because there are so many meanings to the one word. And I feel like there are a lot of people out there that um, we all get clumped into this one word, but we're all so different in terms of what we do. Um, And I openly talked about that stigma, how it's kind of difficult Mm -hmm. to deal with. It's difficult to find the right label for ourselves. And honestly, that is the most insecure thing about my career to this date is that I can't look at somebody and be like, I do this. And I can't say that I'm an influencer because it's such a dirty word. It's a dirty word. And so one of the people on the panel jumped back at me and was like, I can't believe you're saying that. Why would you feel bad to be an influencer? It's like a $10 billion industry. And I was like, I don't care about the money. Like, this is (laughs) just where my head's an identity thing. It's an identity thing. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I grapple with it too. I'm I'm trying to like reclaim it in a way, <laughs> but it's funny because then you feel like I'm not a normal influencer. I'm a cool influencer. Like you're like trying to like justify it. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I I'm trying not to shy away from using that word as much anymore because I feel that once people go to my platform and live with it for a while and see what I do, they realize that I'm approaching it in maybe a slightly different way. And like, then that explains for itself, you know? Um, And if they want to judge me on saying I'm an influencer, then like, so be it. But like, I'm the one taking home the checks and like killing it and living my life and like working for myself and having the freedom to travel and shop. And you know, like if I could bow down in this room right now, I would. Right. Because (laughs) sometimes we're like out in the street, like taking photos and everyone just walking by, giving us dirty looks like, ugh, these Instagrammers, like influencers. We'll never forget the day that I had a shoot that I was actually so excited about with a brand that I loved and I was excited about the collaboration and some guy walked by me and goes people like you ruin New York oh my god I was devastated yeah but you wouldn't be giving me those dirty looks if you've realized what a business I've built of this and that's what people don't realize like it's a true business and we're business women and we're entrepreneurs and like it's just so shitty when we're when we're like I don't know perceived in the wrong way and kind of just they they boil us down to like the bare minimum and it's like there's so much more to it than that. I also feel like there's this totally unfair stigma against people just taking photos of themselves in general. (laughs) Like that guy could probably have no idea what I do for a living. Um, But you know, like I want a picture of myself in front of 
the Empire State Building, whatever it is. And, like, you can see the way people look at people on the street taking photos. And I feel like it's so unfair. And I think it has something to do with oversharing that I think makes a lot of people uncomfortable. But you do a great job at sharing just enough. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. But— it was so funny. Somebody actually said something to me. I ran into someone. I forget who it was. Shout out if you're listening. And you remember me, you telling me the story. Um, it was when you fell. Oh, yeah. No offense. Sorry for bringing <laughs> this up. for bringing that up. Um, but you, if I fell, I would go home, cry, and try to erase every memory of it. But now there's me, your friend, who wasn't even in the same country as you when it happened and is bringing it up like two weeks later just as like a... Just like reminding you that it happened. But um, you immediately felt the need to share it. And (laughs) no, but there was something so human about it and just sweet. And you called out Tezza, who came and helped you. And it was like, I just want to know what it is you think inside of you that feels okay with sharing the little elements of your life. Because my brain wouldn't even go there. Right. Um. I think in that. By moment, the way, I'm not yeah. coming from this from like a no, critical no. way. I'm just like I loved it. I no, loved absolutely. Every second of it. I think yeah. that's so funny. But I think even in that moment, like I just had to laugh at myself. Like I hadn't fallen like that in so long. I literally fell on my face with like many people watching, just a full wipeout. And I think I'm just I like to see the bigger like lesson in things like naturally. And I think I get that from my parents. Like that day, I was already feeling like so crazed, so stressed, overwhelmed. Like I literally felt like I was going to fall on my face and I did. And like that was the universe being like, slow the F down. You know what I mean? And like, I really do think of things in a bigger picture like that a lot of the time. Um, And in that moment also, I was just really thankful that someone like Tezza was there who was like, girl, you can cry. It's okay. I'll sit with you for a few minutes. I'll call you an Uber home. Like, are you okay? Like, let's just sit for a few, you know? And like, she easily could have just like, kept walking and like acted like she didn't hear me fall or like even stay with me as long as she did but she literally like called us an uber and like drove me home and dropped me off and like made sure I was okay and our industry isn't always like that and so I think it was nice you know I think that fall happened for a reason a (laughs) to tell me to chill and do less and b to show me that like there are good people in this industry who will like look out for you when you fall like metaphorically and physically (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. I love that. I love Tezza, too. Shout out, Tezza. She's so sweet. I'm glad you're okay. Thanks. (laughs) But I also did notice in that moment, I was like, oh, wow, you know, she's talking to the camera a lot more. Yeah, I don't know. I always get um, a pretty good response from my followers when I do. So even though I still feel really awkward about it, I'm trying to do it a little bit more when it makes sense. Like, not every day, but when I have a story to tell, like, this just happened to me. Oh, my God. Right. Then I'll jump on. But that being said, taking that a little bit taking that like one step further, mm-hmm. is how have you used data and insights mm. to establish your brand? Because you do have a really strong mm-hmm. branding. Like I, whenever I look on your feed, I'm like, oh, she knows exactly what, mm-hmm. she knows how she wants this to look. She knows what kind of photo she's taking, even down to the captions. It's like going from editorial to this mm-hmm. and creating a story through Instagram. Yeah. I think it definitely carries over, like you said, like everything I learned at Refinery, just just as far as like wording and packaging and 
Like one thing Refinery did so well is as soon as you saw something, you knew it was Refinery before you even knew it was Refinery. hundred percent. Like whether it was headlines. an image or an event headlines. or a headline, yeah. like whether it was an IRL activation or something, you know, a headline, like you said, like just in the tone and in the visuals, you knew it was R29 before even knowing it was R29. And so I think that's something they always did really well from day one. And I guess just working there for five years, I, that kind of rubbed off on me, like the importance of having clear brand messaging. I don't think of it so concretely with my own stuff. I think I'm just, I just post what I'm drawn to and I take photos of what I'm drawn to. And again, like it's an authenticity thing. I try to just like do what feel, comes naturally to me. Um, but I'm glad that comes off in a cohesive way. Totally. <laughs> reassuring. For people that don't really know how to find their branding, is there a tip that you have in terms of knowing your style and then bringing it into the digital world? I mean, even me, sometimes I question or like when people ask me how I describe my style, I'm like, I don't know. How can I box in? But it's funny because I really like the saved feature on Instagram. Right. And I think you can do your own study of yourself via your saves. Like, I don't know. When, whenever I Wait, question keep myself. keep going with that. That's so whenever interesting. Whenever I question myself or like who I am visually or aesthetically or what my style is, like I go into my saved boards and it becomes very clear. Like obviously everything I'm drawn to falls into this kind of like quirky, colorful, vintage inspired, warm, optimistic tone slash aesthetic. So that's kind of like my answer is right in front of me, you know? So I think that's the cool thing about saves is like it shows you what you're naturally drawn to. Um, and I, rely on it heavily, not only for style, but also like all of my home inspiration was in there. Like when I got my new apartment and I was decorating my new apartment, it was fully like I had the aesthetic based on everything I had saved up to that point. So it's like the modern day mood boarding. Yeah, exactly. I save like crazy, probably too much, like to the point where I'm worried if this if the saves ever go away, I'm going to be like screwed. <laughs> right. I totally get that. I mean, but but I love it. I've always loved like mood boarding. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like that's like a real, it's a good way to just learn about yourself. And I've never mm -hmm. really thought about it that deeply. Yeah. So I'm definitely going home and having fun with <laughs> saving the saved button today. Um, but what do you feel like is, has been your most successful partnership to date? Ooh. Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, that's so tough. And you can define success however you want. Yeah. A lot of the partnerships that I think for myself are most successful might not have performed as well, but it right. felt like the right fit. Yeah. I think a couple of just like my ongoing partners really stand out to me. Outdoor Voices being one of them who I know you've also worked with since the very beginning. Um, Urban Outfitters, Uniqlo, I've worked with repeatedly. Like I think we have, we have some of the you same repeat really clients. <laughs> we have so much fun. Um but yeah, I just, it's nice to find those brands that really seem to get you and they're working with you in a way that's not trying to change you or like fit you into their brand. They're just working with you for you. Those are the best partnerships to me where they're like, they know what they're getting. They're not trying to like force me to be something I'm not. They're just like, we love Alyssa for who she is and we want to work with her, you know? I think Outdoor Voice is really good about that. Uniqlo is really good about that. Urban Outfitters and like free people, that whole family of brands and free people movement. I work with all of them a lot. And yeah, they really just value, you know, my uniqueness and my personal style. And they're not like, you have to wear this this way or like take your photo this way and not that way. Like kind of just let me do my thing. And I'm always really appreciative of that because I, I know for Stan that's not always the case. <laughs> Definitely not. I had a client once that 
emailed me back saying your photos are too girly like when I sent them the collateral. <laughs> it's also like they've got to realize like you can go on my Instagram and see what you're going to get. You totally. know what I mean? So like don't act surprised when I send you something and be like, oh, that's 2X or that's 2Y. It's just like did you even look at my Instagram before you reached out to me? Like it's so crazy. On that note, you and I ramble constantly about the Instagram algorithm. (laughs) I want to know, just because you are someone that is, you're the, um, like, pinnacle of what people should be doing to keep up with the algorithm. Whereas, like, someone like me, I'm, like, the Instagram rebel. I'm, like, fuck it. I don't (laughs) care. I'm going to post what I want. You guys can deal with it. That's literally my attitude, by the way. (laughs) Alyssa is always creating content. I'm She's always like, Liv, you have to be consistent. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> so I just want your thoughts on where it's at right now in terms of the way that you're creating content. And especially because you've worked with Instagram closely mm-hmm. and actually been a person that's like that they've used to put out information. So just would love to hear your thoughts on how it's working for you and working yeah. against you. Um, That's interesting. I, I try not to overthink it, but I do have like bare minimum you know, like I just mentioned, being consistent is huge. And I feel like consistency is largely to thank for like where I'm at today. Because I'm, yeah, it's like I, I don't really take breaks, which I guess is like a bad thing. But like, I pretty much post every day and pretty much on stories every day. I don't overthink it. Like I don't, I'm not like, oh, well, like this doesn't fit on the grid. So I'm not gonna, you know what I mean? Like I kind of just Yes, I have like a kind of filter preset that I put on everything that keeps everything keeping gen- like looking generally uniform, but I don't like go crazy over my f- grid. Um, I again, I kind of just post what feels naturally to me, but I think like I really look up to Eva Chen and I think she like not has all the answers, but uh, you know, she works there. She knows how it works. She also pioneered the Yes. Um to me, she pioneered the like in the moment yes. Instagram exactly. model. And I look to that as an example, you know, and I think I'm so compelled when I'm tapping through her content that like mm-hmm. she's clearly doing something right and she works for Instagram, so she clearly, like, knows how to crack the code in one way or another. Um, so I think, yeah, something Eva always says is, like, don't care so much about how your grid looks. Like, post in the moment. Post what feels right to you. Do what comes naturally to you. And, like, that authenticity is everything. And that's what people respond to. I mean, Alyssa's profile is literally used in, like, the Instagram <laughs> examples of what to do right and good practices. <laughs> how does that feel? I'm flattered. No, I'm flattered. But I think it's because, like— you know, all these panels and stuff, all these chances that I have gotten to talk to Eva or see her speak, like, I take that information and I use it and I I think it it pays off. Um, But also, like, another thing she says is that Instagram is kind of like a baby. Like, if you don't feed it and ignore it and just, like, don't give it love or attention, like, it's not gonna like you back, you know? So you gotta, like, be engaged. You gotta be on there liking, commenting, like, it's a lot of work, obviously, but it's kind of like a child. Like, you have to, like, feed it and love it and care for it and nurture it. And, like, it will love you back, you know? I'm getting um, anxiety. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, I don't know. It's, it's not the best advice for anyone who's trying to keep a nice, like, balance with social media. But Hi. just like, be on it all the time and post all the time. And I know. Um, yeah. It's easier said than done, but I do think it pays off. I think it pays off, too. But I also think this brings up something. I loved the article. um, Sorry, who wrote it about mega influencers? 
Yes. Um, was it Alyssa, v- Alyssa Vingan wrote it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um I'm sorry. I apologize for not knowing that. But <laughs> I loved reading that whole article and hearing what you had to think about it because I think it is really tough. Growth is really tough on Instagram these mm-hmm. days, and I think it's way tougher than people think. Mm-hmm. But we are kind of in this wave right now where, like, people are working with us anyways. Yeah. There's not really, like, a hierarchy anymore. But what do you think about... About, like, follower count? Yeah, but also just, like, we enter an Instagram during, like, the mega the mega influencer stage mm-hmm. where it's, like, we have the Kiaras, we have the Amis. Mm-hmm. Like, today, I don't see that as much anymore. Right. And for me, too, I kind of... I so respect Ami and Kiara and all of those women who have these like mega Oh, they're like the now. pioneers. Like totally. I, I'm like bowed bow down, down fully. But I'm also like, I don't really want to be that. And I think there's something to be said for, um, yeah, just like smaller influencers. I, it's, all, it's all relative, right? Because like some people might think my platform is huge, but relative to theirs, it's tiny, you know? Right. So like I think of myself I'm as a I'm constantly defending influencer. that. I'm, <laughs> I'm literally chasing my own tail being like, no, it's big, but it's small, but it's big. But like there are people that are bigger. Right. It's it's hard. And then say. there's me. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere in the middle, I guess. But no, I mean, it's funny because I'm like, obviously growth is important, but I'm also like, I kind of like where I'm at right now. I feel like I'm in a good spot. Totally. Like I'm like big enough to be legit, but I'm not like so big that people are holding me to like impossible standards and like watching my every move and like I don't know I still feel like I have kind of a niche um, where I can still I can work with big brands but I can also work with small brands and like it's a really nice happy medium so I think there's definitely something to be said for that and like I don't think by any means like follower count is equated to success yeah I've always been the biggest advocate of that yeah has nothing to do with your numbers no yeah it's like who you are what you stand for like yeah just the strength of your brand in general, not only what the numbers say. What are your thoughts on new apps like TikTok going on? Well, YouTube's not new, but Ugh. YouTube channels. Yeah, like other oh, she just sighed. Oh, man. I feel so old when I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Shoot, yeah. man. And I, you know, I'm pretty young still, generally, in the grand scheme of things. But if you want to feel old, just go on TikTok for a few minutes and, man, you'll feel like a grandma. Um, yeah. You won't see me on TikTok anytime soon. Okay. Well, <laughs> moving on. Next thing that I actually would love to talk to you about that I'm so interested in, um, Danielle Bernstein's Mo. Yeah. From an influencer perspective. Ugh, I think it's so smart. Yeah. I think what's really funny is I never thought about this whole world like building businesses but this is the first business that i've seen that serves the influencer mm-hmm. and we're not promoting something that serves the world exactly yeah it's it really yeah that's something that stuck out about mo to me as well is like oh this is a product marketed towards influencers not toward like the general pro- uh, public right for those who so don't know yeah. danielle bernstein also at we were what on instagram started a Basically, a platform for influencers called Mo after her assistant. Shout out Mo, um, and it essentially is a like digital assistant for creators, whether you're a YouTuber, influencer, blogger, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, like a project manager. It's a project manager. Awesome. Yeah, so like you can go on there, put all your projects in there, um, like the due date, the deliverables, etc., which like has never done been done before. Like mm-hmm. Alyssa and I, you like use sticky notes. Yeah, literally. literally like my deliverables are like in my <laughs> no, my deliverables are in like my calendar <laughs> notes app on the iPhone. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it's it's crazy. It's one of those things where you're like, how did I not think of this? Like, this is so necessary. This is so needed. There's not no worse. So overdue. I know. I'm like, damn Damn it, Danielle. I know, but Danielle Danielle (laughs) deserves all the success in the world. Totally. Um, And I was flattered to be one of the early users of Mo. And I think it's... Ah, I didn't know that. Tell us about your experience. Actually, like... Yeah, before it was even announced, or weeks or months before it was even announced, um, Danielle and her team brought me over to Danielle's apartment to show me the product and asked me if I wanted to be one of the early users of the platform. Um, And I think, like, one of the pieces of feedback I gave is that now I work with a manager or an agency, um, and they handle most of my projects. So it's not currently part of Mo, but in the next rollout, there's going to be features that are more catered to an influencer who works with a team or like with a manager or so you can like add your yes. manager to so we your can account. both be in there and like working on projects simultaneously brilliant yeah so i'm really really excited for that i think right now it's really good for people who are still doing everything themselves like doing the invoicing themselves doing submitting the content themselves like now i submit my content to my manager who submits it to the brand so it's a bit of a different process but mo I believe it's also going to cater to that in the next phase. So I'm really excited for that Um, because I think a lot, even with my manager now, happens just in Gmail and like in threads and stuff. So to get everything in one place, it happens on text. Like I'm sending images via text and then I'm sending captions via email. Like it's all over the place. So I think just centralizing everything will be such a huge game changer for every influencer. Yeah, it's amazing to see the tech world definitely be penetrating the fashion industry Mm -hmm. and to see... Danielle, take that shift is really cool. Yeah. But from a, also from a tech perspective, it's not that techie, but I want to talk about your pop-ups. Yeah. It's so, it's so cool. And I think it, it definitely is like a natural next step for you where mm-hmm. it's like, if I am writing like a shopping story for Forbes or someone's asking me, hey, where should I go vintage shopping in New York? Mm-hmm. My number one resource is your account. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. Because I think you've done a really good job of aggregating your interests, but also your your mix of high and low end is really great. Um, but talk to us a little bit, little bit about the process of bringing these brands to real life. Yeah, I think it kind of, again, like refinery keeps coming up, but it's just been so interesting to see how the skills I learned there are translating into like this new phase. Well, yeah, you like R29 rooms yeah. and that whole like digital to IRL movement. Exactly. And I think even with, I was the... Um, market editor at Refinery. So all the most of the stories I did were online shopping focused. So I would go into a story, say it was like the best winter coats or whatever, for example. Like I knew I had to have some lower price point, some higher price point, some a little girlier, some a little, you know, tomboy. Like there kind of had to be something for everyone in each story that I published on Refinery. So that's also translated into like my style now and how I curate these IRL pop-up spaces or retail spaces. Like I try to think not only like what would I buy, but kind of like thinking of these different archetypes, like thinking of my friends, for example, like Lauren is a lot more minimal. Like, is there something for the more minimal gal? Is there something for the more streetwear person? Um, So again, I think like that editorial mindset has crossed over into these like pop-up curations where I'm kind of like making sure there's something for everyone. And even on my Instagram, like my followers would feel totally alienated if I only posted luxury brands all the time. They'd be like, Alyssa, we can't afford any of this. You know what I mean? And so I think that's why it's 
one of many reasons it's so important to me to keep supporting smaller brands um, or even just like more affordable brands in general. And sometimes it's hard because like, you know, I'll be in Paris and I'm like, I want to work with the Chanel's and the Dior's and everyone, but it's like finding this balance between like working with them, but also still, you know, not leaving behind those outdoor voices or those urban outfitters because they also are really in line with my brand in their own way. And my followers appreciate those in a way also. So I don't know, trying to always keep that balance. I mean, I think there's a good balance between shoppable and aspirational. Yeah. Because everybody in fashion definitely has an aspirational mood board vibe. Right. So it's important to keep the mix of both. But yeah. So the first store you did was called Restore is in San Francisco and Mm -hmm. it's still open. It's still open. Yeah. So I had a bigger hand in like the um, launch curation. And now, oddly enough, they've hired Aaron Cunningham, who was my boss at Refinery. Oh, cool. um, Who left just before I did, actually, um, is now full-time there doing the brand stuff. So it was cool because, like, I was working with them on a freelance basis, like, working really hard on the curation for the launch, which happened a couple months ago. And since then, yeah, they found someone full-time to do it. And That's amazing. so happens to be an R2-9er, ex-R2-9er as well. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'm still—Aaron and I still, like, work together um, on tackling some of the brands and stuff, but— um, yeah, we made a really, really strong launch curation for the store. I, I, we had everyone from like Boy Smells and French Girl Organics to Mansur Gabriel, Year of Hours, which is that really cute activewear brand. Um, Cezanne was in there and Other Stories was in there. So like it was a really, again, nice mix of like small brands, but like more recognizable brands as well. Um, and always trying to find that balance. So, yeah, that was Restore. It's still open. So if you're in the San Francisco area, go check it out. It's permanent. So the brands will always be rotating, which is cool. It's kind of something different every time you go in there. But, um, yeah, if you find yourself in San Francisco, definitely check it out. I really like this push that you – it's not even a push. It's just kind of, I feel like, a natural progression of your career where I've seen so many, like, IRL experiences happening where – you know, we've been used to digital for so long, but, you know, with Restore, So Major, which So Major's at the Oculus right yeah, now. Yeah, so So Major was actually only, like, a four-day thing. It was, okay. It was, like, very quick, but everything's Sorry, still guys. available online. All right. SoMajor.com. So Let me check. Okay. Um, but that continuing that thought, um, you did the um, shopping event during Fashion Week with ShopBop. SoMajorShop.com. There you go. <laughs> Um, the event they did with Shop Bop, and I know you do the closet sale often. Yes. What goes into, or why is it? Why do you feel it's important to be having these IRL, IRL events? And how are you bringing your digital life into those moments? Yeah, I think it's so important to keep having these IRL experiences, whether it is something that I'm curating or if it's just an opportunity to connect with the people that follow me every day. And it's so funny because people, you know, followers will come to these events and be like, oh, you know, how are you after your fall? Or like, how's the new apartment? And they're like, I'm sorry, I feel so creepy. And I'm like, no, you're not creepy at all. I'm the one putting all this out there, you know? Like, I'm the one that's an open book. So if anyone's weird, it's me. Um, (laughs) No, but it's just, it's really nice because I feel like in a way, a lot of my followers feel like they know me. And so to present those opportunities where they can come and we can chat in person and connect IRL is like so, so, so important. And I think also with the brands that I work with, it just adds another dimension. Like, I think it's one thing to be like, post a photo, like, yeah, go shop at ShopBop. Okay, whatever. But to actually be in the store and like curate the pieces we love and like work with them in a way that's another dimension, um, a deeper level, if you will, I think the IRL interactions, both with followers and with brands, just feel that much more meaningful. 
in every way. But there's an anxiety that comes with that. Yeah, totally. It's also exhausting. Like whenever I do an event, even if it's like two hours of just like talking to people, I go home and I'm just like, I'm dead now. Don't talk to me for three days. How do you disconnect? As you know, my boyfriend lives in L.A. And it's so funny because, you know, we see each other maybe once or twice a month. But when we're together, we are together because we don't get to spend every day with each other. You know, it's special when we are together. And it's just so funny because when I'm there, I think my friends know, like, not even to reach out to me. Like, my phone's in the other room. Like, I'm just like, we're hiking or we're getting dinner or we're just hanging out and not we're hiking for like four days through the <laughs> wilderness. And it was uh, it was a great side of Alyssa to see. <laughs> yeah. Um, Matt's very outdoorsy. So he like drags me along on camping trips. Um, so, yeah, it's nice because I think when I'm there, L.A. in itself is already a lot slower of a pace than New York. And it was funny because when I first started going there, I would book up my days as if I was still in New York. Like, this appointment, that appointment, this meeting. And I was like, wait, this is not what people do here in L.A. This is not nope. how it works here. Nope. <laughs> people maybe do one thing in a day. Yeah, people um, think I'm weird in L.A. every time I go home now. I get right? like, I'm like kind of like the weird outsider now. But it's Yeah, okay. no, but I, I love going to L.A. because it forces me to slow down a little bit and like be right. present with my boyfriend and maybe like not do 10 million things in one day. Um, it's just a slower pace, a slower lifestyle out there. So obviously not everyone can just like jet to L.A. for three days to unwind, but Freelancer life. Right now, freelancer life, that's just, yeah, it's nice to have a balance. You're the third person in a row on this podcast that basically lives in a long-distance relationship. Really? The past two guests before this have. Dang. I like talking about people with this because I want to know maybe if it's something about what it is that we do that allows for mm-hmm. that to happen. Um, I guess the question is, how do you make it work? I always like to say that, like, you and your partner have to be on the same page. Like, whether... Like, in my situation right now, both my partner and I are very, like, in the trenches of our careers. Like, we're full in it. We're, like, hustling. We're, you know, got a lot of exciting stuff going on. There's travel. There's, you know, my boyfriend works in film. So he's, like, he's got shoots. He's got pitch projects. He's got meetings with this celebrity and that, you know, that actor. And it's it's exciting. Like, we're both at very exciting points in our careers. And we want each other to be doing those things, like, now's the time right like we're both still really young um but I think like just knowing that we're both in it um makes all the difference like in our relationship as much as we are in our careers but we just know that right now this is what our relationship looks like and that's okay like I don't know I think you just have to be on the same page as your partner because if if one person's like sitting on the couch like not really doing much then they're gonna feel like you're (laughs) like ignoring them and like have other priorities but if you're equally as busy and equally as ambitious in your career then it's not going to feel like you're neglecting each other it's just going to feel like you're both doing your thing and that's okay totally does that make sense no it absolutely does jen rubio was on two episodes ago and her fiance now fiance lives in san francisco and she i actually asked her um just about kind of what that means to her, especially as someone who's running a big business. And she was like, you know, you're going to be able to have it all and just, but, but different during, during different times in your life, like mm-hmm. different things are going to be important to you during different exactly. phases of your life. But I would love to talk about anxiety a little bit because mm-hmm. you and I both are like, we can have our moments for sure. Yeah. But I also really love the conversation that you opened up about skin picking. Yeah. I think it was, it was funny because when I listened to it, which by the way, I loved that podcast. Oh, low, yeah, me low too. Low Light Reel. The Low Light Reel. Shout yeah. out to them. Great podcast. Great. Pheno- like phenomenal. Um, I listened to it first and I was like, wow, I actually didn't know that about you and I've known you for a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. But then also to see 
the stamina it picked up, I didn't even acknowledge it as something that was an issue. So thank you for bringing that to light and also like creating a space for people to talk about it. Yeah, it's been kind of like a deep, dark secret for so long. And I think it I just couldn't hold it in anymore at a certain point. And it was funny because the low light reel came along at like the perfect time because I was starting to toy with the idea of like opening up about it. And then Embry, who is the host of the low light reel, um, in her like prep process, she asked me about like things that I'm dealing with and I mentioned it. And so when we recorded the podcast, she honestly just not even forced me to talk, talk about it, but I just felt comfortable. And it was like the first time it really just came flowing out of me where I was like discussing it to someone other than like my really, really close circle, which is like my mom and my therapist. So like to talk about it to someone outside of that was a huge deal, but also felt like it was time. And that really kind of like started like then I posted on Instagram about it and it was just like this crazy response where people were like, oh my God, I do this too. No one ever talks about it. It's just like this silent battle we're all fighting. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. And it's so true that like when you start to discuss it and realize you're not alone, like whatever that big bad thing is doesn't carry as much power. Like as soon as you start opening up about it, it feels like you're not a victim as much anymore. I don't know. So then Teen Vogue saw it and was like, can you expand on this? Like, can you write a personal essay for us all about it? And then around a similar time, Tavi Gevinson, who's like another person, you know, amazing journalist, actress, et cetera, et cetera, in our industry, also mentioned it in a piece on The Cut. And it was kind of just like all of a sudden it was kind of just bubbling up as this issue that so many young women in the public eye specifically are facing. And yeah, like speaking of anxiety, that's that's how my anxiety manifests. And everyone's manifests in a different way, right? Like some people like have a panic attack and break down crying. Like some people like have to just, I don't know, like pick their pick the skin off their fingers or maybe they pull their eyelashes or their eyebrows or you know, everyone like has different ways their anxiety manifests. And for me, that's like at night when I'm getting ready for bed, just like super close up in the mirror finding every little thing and like I almost don't even realize that I'm doing it because I'm thinking about other things while I'm doing it um but I knew that it had so much to do with like my stress and my anxiety and so yeah I think I mean I talked a lot in both of those things about the behavioral therapy that I went to to kind of like break down why exactly I was doing it and start to become more mindful about it when I was doing it and how to kind of like retrain my brain to not do that to myself. Um, it has not been easy, but I have to say it's been so, so rewarding to start to open up about it and not feel like it's like this deep, dark secret anymore. Cause like I've mentioned, like I would post these selfies and like, I knew how to cover up everything. You would never know. I've known you for years. Yeah. I've never, I, I reading the article, I was actually like, I was like, I didn't even know this about her. I couldn't right. even see it. But I'd be, like, mortified. Like, if I had to go to a shoot with, like, a fresh face because, you know, if there was, like, hair and makeup, I wouldn't even want to show up without makeup on because, like, I was so embarrassed of all these, like, scars and marks and scabs all over my face and, like, open wounds. Um, but I knew how to cover it up with makeup, and so no one ever knew. Even on Instagram, like, posting selfies, even some of my closest friends didn't know because they'd only see me with all my concealer on. So um, it's gotten a lot better, and again, like, just the issue has carried or not had so much control over me since I started opening up about it. It's weird. It like loses power once you start dealing with it more openly. How are you coping with it now? Um, I think 
finding like the skincare routine that works for me and sticking with it has been huge. I think there was a time where I was just like trying too many different products. I think like in our position, it's very normal. As I'm like whatever, whatever's in the in- yeah. incoming mailbox. Right. That's yeah. that's not what your skin wants <laughs> to try a different mask, a different Yikes. serum, a different face wash like every other day. Um, so my skin, needless to say, was freaking out. So then I was picking out everything and making it even worse. But um, I found a couple products. I'm going to be sharing everything on my website, by the way, as far as like how I've dealt with this, like what products have really like gotten me my skin confidence back since, you know, a lot of that picking and scabs leave, you know, hyperpigmentation and scars and stuff and how I've dealt with that. So stay tuned on the site for more about that. But When's um, it coming out? In the coming weeks. Okay, that's a great answer. I, <laughs> I was like, don't give me a date. Don't no. do it to yourself. No, we're not sticking with a hard date. But um, anyway, how I'm coping with it now, I guess, yeah, just talking about it and being more open about it makes me not want to do it as much is what I'm finding. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a testament to you as a really strong community builder. Thanks. And as a community that's very... That feels very kind. And that's different, which yeah, is great. That's nice. No, it's been crazy just to talk to everyone. And I've gotten so many emails and DMs since putting it all out there of just being like, thank you so much for talking about this. I feel less alone. And some people, too, like didn't even know that there was behavioral therapy that could address an issue like this. So they're totally. like, I'm going to seek no one idea. out now. Yeah. I'm going to seek out a therapist for this. Or I'm going to get help or I'm going to be more open about it. And so... It's been lovely to see the effect it can have to be a little bit vulnerable. I love that. Speaking of vulnerability, one of my favorite, I was an avid Alyssa Coscarelli reader when she was at R29, (laughs) but my favorite story you ever wrote that I actually like have screenshotted and like saved for life is the 12 things you learned after your sabbatical. Oh my gosh. I just, you said something in there about living your best life. I I pulled the quote here because I think think everybody should read it, should hear it. Um, But so Alyssa went on a sabbatical. She said that earlier. And when she came back, she wrote an article for Refinery about the 12 things she learned while she was away. One of her points was, why do we praise each other for shelling a ton of money and living the vacation lifestyle, but not for hustling day in and day out? If you ask me, we should be complimenting each other's daily accomplishments just as much as the rare opportunity we get to live a more lavish, lavish life abroad. My everyday routine of waking up, working, working, exercising, and running errands can be just as much as my best life as a vacation can. Yes. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Dude, it's true. I still believe that. Get it together <laughs> over there. <laughs> well, this makes my follow-up question great, but I want to know how you're carrying that ethos today because I do think seeing your content always puts a smile on my face because you do I know your energy and I know who you are as a person but um carrying that into your everyday life is probably is a challenge but I'm curious to hear how you feel about that almost a year later yeah I was thinking about that actually um coming back from Paris because I was in Paris for 12 days and you were very much living your best life yeah and I was like you know I was like at the fashion shows and it was like perfect fall weather and I was like vintage shopping and at cafes and out to dinner with my friends so yeah it was a better season this time and not all seasons are equal guys (laughs) yeah (laughs) ups and downs no um but yeah so then I came home and I was kind of just like unpacking, trying to like get back to my normalcy as much as I could, like readjusting to the time zone, getting working out again after not moving my body for like a month. And I kind of felt like, oh shoot, like my my content was so fun the last like couple weeks and now it's kind of like lame and I'm just like running errands and like working out. And I was like, no, 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 this is good too. Like this is a real human's life like not every day is gonna be some fashion vacation or some like exciting fashion week like some weeks you're just like 
getting your life together. Um, and I still think that's just as relatable, if not more relatable for most people than a fashion week is. I actually loved um, Zenya posted a whole yes. thing. That was crazy. I saw that. <laughs> that made me feel crazy. Right? Okay, our friend Zenya, she's a, an amazing fashion blogger. I think she's about to launch a line. Um, definitely follow her. But she did this whole thing on Instagram where she pulled her followers who like are obviously fashion lovers and love what she has to post and ask them, like, do you give a shit about Fashion Week? And like 90 percent of them were like, no, it's actually very <laughs> polarizing. I have no idea what's going on. And it's they were like, much. they were like, imagine how overwhelming it is for you as a person. It's equally as overwhelming for us as, as followers. Yeah. Like because like you go from just posting like normal everyday relatable content to like this like storm of like a world we don't even like know about. But it's insane. I've talked to so many people about this, about how, like, our engagement just, like, tanks. Oh, the day before Fashion Week, I'm, like, texting everybody, like, Godspeed this week. Like, who's going to beat the algorithm? Not me. No. <laughs> and it's it's because it's it's too much and it's alienating yeah. for, for Nobody cares. anyone. Yeah. And so, like, it was nice to kind of, like, reassure myself of that when I got home and I was just, like, going to my workout class, like— you know, whatever, like unpacking. No offense. I remember you posting about SLT yeah. the other day more than I remember something from Paris. Right. Exactly. And so, I, it reminded me being like, oh, I need to go to SLT. Right. I, it's just so much more relatable for everyone. And so I think there is, you know, like I had to remind myself like, no, you're not like lame and boring now. This is just like real life. And that's relatable for people, if not more so. Right. I'm sorry. This was a very um, like polarizing conversation probably in and of itself we're very grateful to be at all these places but totally. we also want to make sure that what we're doing is like is the energy that we put out is the energy we're getting back yeah right totally yeah speaking of energies what's making you feel good right now Ooh, honestly um yeah my workout classes it sounds so lame but like i went so long i, I fitness is very important to me not in a physical sense, but in a mental sense and an emotional sense. And like, have you ever I, seen Alyssa's abs? Stop. No. But like, I turn into a different person when I'm not like regularly moving my body. I get like cranky and irritable and like kind of miserable to be around <laughs> because like that sweating is how I kind of like work through my shit and like come back down to earth and like kind of like sweat out my stress. Right. So honestly, just coming home and being able to like do that again has been so huge. I felt myself like towards the end of being in Paris, just like not being myself. Like I just felt kind of like down right. and like grumpy. And already I feel so much better since coming home and like doing a couple classes. Um, but also, yeah, just taking time to myself. I think I spent a lot of time the past month and a half with other people in one way or another and talking to people all day or even just even with my closest friends. It's still exhausting. There's a way. real come down with that. Yeah. yeah. So just like, yeah, recentering and spending time with myself. Like last night I took a bath. I like read for 30 minutes before I went to bed. Love that. Look at my phone. Just like had some me time. And so that's felt really good. What's a misconception about you in the industry that you would like to change? I think it has a lot to do with what we were talking about. Just like the overall meaning and the weight that the word influencer carries. I just wish we could acknowledge it as like a real career and less of like a dirty word. Yeah. So pretty much what we already talked about. And I don't really know the answer. I think I'm just going to keep doing what I know how to do. And hopefully that's enough. But um, yeah, I wish people kind of didn't 
judge that word before they knew us. What makes you feel insecure about your career success as someone who's achieved success at a young age? Um, I think what makes me feel insecure is just how indefinite everything is right now. And I think I think about this a lot in the, in the context of, um, my partner actually, cause he works in film and it's kind of like, it seems like his job's always going to be there <laughs> for the rest of his life. Um, more. and but it has it a very more. clear like path. Like it's like, yeah, he wants to make movies and he wants to win an Oscar and like, yeah, like, you know, like it's just like. Kind and by of the way, that cut. clear path is also a- available for a lot of other industries. Totally. Except ours. Except ours. I just feel like at any minute, everything could change and everything could flip on its head. And like, there's no job security in our industry. <laughs> and that makes me feel really insecure because like, yeah, I feel like I'm in a good place now. But like, I didn't know that I was going to be doing what I'm doing now five years ago. And I don't know. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing five years from now. So it's just... The unknown is scary. And, you know, I'm just trying to take it a day at a time and put a lot in savings. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's what makes me insecure is just like not knowing the future of all of this and when it's all going to end or change or. What's your advice for the next generation? The people that want to also join our industry mm-hmm. and thrive and feel good about where they're at? I think I always kind of touching on what I mentioned earlier about like respecting your own path as its own unique thing. Whatever you want to do, I think there's only so much you can plan. That's what I always say is like, like I said, I I didn't know that I was going to be doing this five years ago. So there's only so much you can plan for. So try to just enjoy the ride and enjoy the steps that take you there instead of like comparing your path to someone else's because no two people's journey to like quote unquote success is going to be the same. Um, and yeah, it's so kind of just take it a day at a time and like see where it takes you. And I promise you like you'll end up where you're supposed to end up, but you're only going to drive yourself crazy if you're like, well, she did this, this and this to get this success so I have to do that too like it's that's not how it works um everyone's path is so different so try not to get too caught up in comparing yourself or planning every single move because ultimately um it's out of your control for more subscribe to the friend of a friend podcast on the apple podcast page and our newsletter on friendofafriend.com